2: What have we here? We've got an episode of Culture Club. We're speaking to Nicola Dinan, the best-selling author, whose debut novel Bellies went straight to number one because it's utterly brilliant. Have you read it yet? If you haven't, I'd suggest you get it. We'll get it after this chat because the themes in it are incredible. It's Um, It's a coming-of-age kind of romance involving a couple named Ming and Tom, and it follows their relationship as Ming transitions. So Ming is a trans woman, but at the beginning of the story, she identifies as a man. And the transition takes place throughout the book and is... One might say this is a book about transition. It's not. What's fantastic about it is that it's about how a couple deals with change. Written in this beautiful detailed way that really reminds me of Normal People. If any of you read Normal People or watched it, I mean who didn't? Uh, and coincidentally has also been snapped up by the same people who made Normal People to be made into a TV show. So this is The New Normal People. Um, it's a fabulous story. I really hope you Um, pop out and get it. Elliot Page has been very behind it, championing it. And so we just had to get Nicola in to talk to her, as soon as I read it, I had to to get Nicola in to talk to her about it. We have a really deep chat about navigating relationships and navigating change and how to continue to be yourself in a relationship, how breaking up with someone, what does that involve? What does it mean when you're changing? Because frankly, we all change in our relationships. And uh, I just really loved this chat. I think she's just really good at summing up what's going on inside you. And I, for that reason, could talk to her forever. So let's go and have a listen to her chat, shall we? Yeah. Why not? Here we go. Did you intend to be a writer?
1: I think being a writer is such an interesting thing because... I think it's an ambition a lot of us hold. Mm. It just feels like something so foreign. And, you know, when you're, if you don't grow up being exposed to novelists beyond mm. sort of like the name on the book, like mm. actually knowing writers, the idea of actually having a book published feels so unachievable. Mm. I think the whole process feels so opaque yeah. and you can't really imagine. And so, I think for a lot of my life, I just didn't really consider it be something that was possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm speaking as someone who, you know, hasn't exactly been like denied the privileges of like an education and anything that goes to show just how distant it is for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I actually initially, you know, studied science at university and then I went on to do law conversion and worked as a lawyer for a little while. But I'd always had that dream of writing, Um, but it didn't feel possible For the reasons I just sort of explained but also because the things I was writing just kind of sucked (laughs) like they were just like so I think trying to imitate meaning like thinking of all the authors I really liked and being like how do I do exactly what they're doing Mm -hmm. and not really being in a space to um, write anything that felt meaningful Mm -hmm. or speak to some truth in my own life Mm -hmm. or to the lives of others and it wasn't until, you know, maybe my mid-20s, which is when I started writing Bellies, just I think something shifted where I felt like I could start to write mm. honestly yeah. um, and speak to something true in like the human condition, mm. which I think Bellies tries to do. You know, you have a huge like complement of characters all going through very different experiences. And I think when you look at someone like Ming, in particular, as a trans person, writing another trans person, it was very meaningful. And I felt like I was able to, fictionalize the experiences but write honestly about the emotions of what it is to go through an experience like that Mm. um and I don't think I was ready before then Mm.
2: well it's interesting you say you know like you were fortunate enough to have uh access to things like amazing education and stuff that that wouldn't preclude you from being a writer but something still felt opaque about it and I suppose that's because five years ago even there weren't Trans stories out there, they're still not anywhere like enough, you know, and 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 love stories as well, yeah. Trans love stories and queer love stories and all of that. Yeah. I imagine that is what's ex- that's what's exciting about this period of change. I feel,
1: yeah, and it's you know it's exciting to be a part of it. And you know, I, guess, I suppose what's sad is you sort of said there weren't trans stories out there, and that's true. Mm. There were trans stories, yeah, just like going untold, or you know, trans writers just maybe writing and not really having exposure to the mainstream or being published by big publishing houses up until fairly recently Mm. and that's quite sad but also exciting to sort of be opening up these stories to a broader Mm. audience Mm. and i think you know what's so interesting about bellies is that so the first thing i find so funny is that it really has like a lot of like cachet amongst boomers like boomers really seem to dig bellies Um, and even beyond that i was talking to my So one of my closest friends, his grandma, who's sort of in her mid to late 80s, read it Mm -hmm. and was like, wow, this is like so familiar, yet so different. And I think, you know, when we read queer love stories or trans love stories or stories about queer or trans people, they are still fundamentally relatable, Mm. even to people um, outside of those communities. Mm. And, you know, look at Bellies and Shorts a Novel where Ming transitions but also it's a novel about just growing up and having an obstacle in your relationship with your partner and growing apart from them and you know that change that precipitates that growing apart could be transitioning but it mm-hmm. could be a whole host of other things that we go through in life and suddenly it's this like really specific thing of transitioning feels much more universal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that's where we have to like kind of look at the value of these stories beyond sort of giving insight into these communities. It's actually looking at human problems that we're exposed to day to day, whether or not you're queer and just offering up a new insight into these problems from a lens that feels unfamiliar to people.
2: Well, that's what I really connected with about it was it felt like we've got Ming and Tom and and Ming is transitioning and that is a central challenge for the, these two people. Yeah. But really, what I connected with is like, how does one overcome an issue that presents itself within the framework of a relationship and love, right?
1: Like, how do we begin to address what feels like a fundamental incompatibility Mm -hmm. in a relationship? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, comes up in so many ways when you realize, okay, you know, me and this person want very different things from life. Mm -hmm. Or we we are so clearly going in two different directions or that there's something fundamentally not right mm. about this relationship with a person who I love very much. Yeah. And I think that's a dilemma that extends so far beyond transness. Yeah. What's the difficulty in being Tom's relationship is, you know, transness and the issue and, you know, that Tom's sexuality has limits. And mm he's no longer finding his partner attractive because mm. of Ming's movement towards a more feminine pre- presentation and through her medical transition as well. And, you know, it feels like, okay, well, like, oh, on the surface, I always think, well, people think, might think, oh, I can't relate to that. But I mm. think, you know, when you dig a bit deeper beyond the, the more superficial aspects, and really think, okay, well, this is actually about fundamentally being incompatible with someone
2: yeah. or
1: facing up to the idea that you might be incompatible mm. with someone um it suddenly feels like wow this is you know this is this is something i went through you know last year or last week or last month
2: well love is ultimately in my humble opinion a commitment to change together and to not know what that person will be let alone what you will be and i'm always reminded of this thing someone said to me once which i thought was really magical which was Every seven years, we lose all of our cells. Every single cell has dropped off you and regenerated. (laughs) And so you literally are a physically different person. Like every single cell has refreshed. You are not the same person, but you are in something that contains some kind of stasis because it's a relationship. You know, it's two people together. If you choose to be two, could be three, could be four. You know, it's like, how do you tackle that? And that is deeply universal. And that is what these two people are wrestling with The other thing that really struck me, which is related, we talk about change, right? And how one of you can change or overcome something. But also, people can reveal themselves to you within a relationship as someone or something that was there from the outset. And I'm not talking about transness here, I'm talking about in relationships. And it was there from the outset, but you hadn't seen it.
1: Or refused to see it. Or refused to see it.
2: And how do you tackle that? Is that something you've had to deal with in your own life?
1: Yeah, I think everyone has to. Mm. I think everyone has to contend with the idea that when we fall in love or when we date, we're often falling in love with the idea of a person mm. um, or in the out- of the outline of a person. And you can fall in love with an outline. You could even live <laughs> with an outline of a person. And that process of actually getting a filling in that space takes a lot of time and also requires like a willingness of the other person to show themselves in that way. um and also f- a willingness on your end to actually like see what they're showing you. Mm.
2: and you can also be the outline. you know what I mean? Yeah. You can have only given yourself as an outline
1: totally. And I think in the book, Ming is sort of an outline. I think Tom initially, Is so drawn to Ming because of all the ways in which she's sort of this effervescent, Mm. um, quick witted playwright doing all of these exciting things that and embodies all of these qualities that Tom longs for in a partner, but also longs for in himself. Mm. And when Ming sort of starts to move away from the idea of a person um the think of that a partner that tom so desperately hopes for mm. it becomes really difficult mm. you know it, it, it he's so desperate for ming to be the person that he wants her to be mm. despite her transition tom wants ming to be more masculine mm. tom wants ming's body to take a shape that he f- continues to feel comfortable having sex with mm. and none of this is possible and you know so we will have to contend the fact that people can't always be who we want them to be and you have to kind of take people as they are
2: yes and and also that's all about falling out of love in a weird way like it's not like anything's happened there's not been a a single event like a betrayal or whatever it's just like you've evolved away from each other which is just my favorite stuff because it's heartbreaking it's
1: just things which are no one's fault yeah i'm pulling people apart (sighs) and you know this our commitment to like realities that could never be Mm. just feel so sad it's so heartbreaking hold up
2: the way that you write in such detail about everyday life, this wonderful turn of phrase you have to describe things and how they feel and you transport people right there describing being in your kitchen. Or you know, there's the the moment where Ming talks about putting, is it the progesterone under her tongue? Yeah. um, And lying back on the bed. And it's just very, it's a tiny detail of life that lots of people wouldn't include, but that's what's amazing about it.
1: That image of Ming placing the progesterone You know in late morning and then like going back to bed and just taking Mm. a long nap because she Mm. has nothing to do with her day Mm. um, until she has to go to therapy later where she's just going to have to speak about being trans and then go to support group later where she's going to have to talk about being trans again with a room of people she hates and I think being able to like describe those little details speaks like volumes but that's the metaphor of bellies right it's like this idea of vulnerability but also this idea of how you have this like very simple superficial outer layer mm. and how it, all of those things usually speak to something much deeper yes. you have the soft plain surface of a belly and you have the entire workings of a human underneath
2: I think you said something about like how a cat will show you its yeah,
1: belly yeah like when they do like that yeah and then they go to um uh, like scratch them the cat's like no and sort of scratches you back but with like f- violent force because they're scared and you know it's where their organs are
2: yeah it's so vulnerable to show anyone your belly Yeah, you just your
1: went belly. and you know went to sort of scratch them when they've just sort of shown you as an act of vulnerability
2: and is this a leap too far to say that people can become very preoccupied with the physicalities of trans people and actually underneath we're all the same organs gurgling away you know and, and there's a depth there that isn't often acknowledged
1: I I don't want to stray too much into like the cliched metaphor of like we all breed red um (laughs) but you know I think there is a sense of the way I've noticed you know media portrayals of trans people or the way that even people like around me growing up would discuss trans people was like so um inhumane Mm -hmm. and so based on like the physical and even when people were being supportive it would often be like oh my God, can you believe she used to look like this? Mm. It's like a real like ugly duckling <laughs> to swan yes. sort of narrative. And I don't feel like that has ever been something that to me as a trans person speaks to the reality in which mm. I live or makes me feel supported. Um, if anything, I think that obsession with like trans people's physicality makes life quite hard for trans people. Yeah. And I really wanted to write a book which acknowledges those physical changes and I had to do that because you know we're talking about the the, the direct impact those physical changes have on Tom and Ming's relationship but it wasn't important for me to go into too much detail mm. and I like wanted f- much more to think okay instead of describing like how a trans person changes how do I describe what it's actually like for them to experience that change? What is it like for Ming to look at her hands and wonder if they're too big, mm. or to be drunk at a party and look in the mirror in the bathroom and think, okay, wow, well, like my drawer is really boxy? Mm. Like, what does it feel to actually experience those insecurities? Mm. Um, what does it feel like to be scared in the world in which you're living in? In the same chapter with that bathroom moment, she on the way to summer is on a bus. And there's a man who keeps moving seats to go close and to coast her and she doesn't know what his intentions are, but she just feels a huge sense of fear to the extent she has to get off the bus. Mm. And it was far more important for me to communicate, you know, those, those aspects of the trans experience than just sort of like the physical aspects. That being said, yeah. it's, it's it was also, you know, I think the examples I gave are very much focused on, um, Examples of trans people being scared or mm-hmm. you know in danger. Um, but I think it was also important for me in the context of Ming's friendship group and you know her family and you know the world around her in theater and otherwise, um, to have also created moments for a lot of joy that mm. she feels in her identity and a sense of freedom. Mm. Um, but just to have these two sense of you know anxiety of fear coexist,
2: well, there's enough, Yeah, I suppose it's like one of the things that struck me. There's an unshackling. There's a, a lovely section where you're speaking about the possibility of like, if I didn't have too much body hair and if I didn't have uh, this and that and all these little rules Ming is creating for herself about why not to transition Yeah, and then opportunity opens up when she understands, but what if I did transition? And that's all very internal. And all very true. And then um, but but what struck me was that this idea that like with the transition, and I'm saying this because you're talking about how what's interesting to talk about trans people, like and doing it from the inside out, not the outside looking yeah. in, is Ming's transition is a journey as much for Ming as anyone else around her. She doesn't know what she's because she's not taking hormones when it starts so how does she know what she's going to become or who she what she's going to look like and is that her or is that is that the old ming poking through and to she is meeting herself actually yeah in the transition and I think that people talk to trans people like you know everything you need to know about where you want to go and you don't you're embarking on a journey as much as the people around you
1: yeah it's difficult because I think it's important to give trans people and most people the authority to speak on their own experiences Mm. but it's important at the same time to give them space to be unsure
0: Mm.
1: and it almost feels like a paradox you know to allow people that authority of saying you know entrusting them when they tell you that this is something that they want to do or Mm. they want to do x y z and also Allowing them room to be like, oh, well, actually, this is really hard, or yeah. I'm sure about this aspect, or I'm really struggling with this. I think what's hard about transitioning is that, and Ming experiences that is that it is what she wants, but she's suddenly, as a result of it, experiencing a whole new, you know, plethora of problems mm. that she didn't previously experience. Mm. She's out in the world as a woman. And so that comes with a level of objectification. And sexualization, and also out in the world as world a woman who's Asian mm-hmm. and trans, which amplifies those things in a lot of ways. And she has certain concerns about her own body um, that impacts her relationship with food, which you see in the novel. And, you know, someone might see that and connect that with the transitioning, but, you know, she's allowed the pain of those experiences whilst also still acknowledging that transitioning is something that she needs to do mm. and I think sometimes when we read about trans people's experiences, those negatives in in the eyes of people who maybe aren't as like supportive of trans people are used to almost like negate the idea of transitioning as a whole mm-hmm. but what I wanted to do with bellies' was allow those things to exist alongside each other, you know to not direct the ire at transitioning, but rather the the hostility Mm. of a world that has yet to be fully accommodating Mm. to trans people. Mm. And much
2: has been made of the two perspectives. Yeah. It's Ming's perspective, and then it flicks to Tom's perspective and back and forth. What made you decide to do it like that? And what have people connected with the About that, do you think?
1: Well, I think um, it was just so necessary for me to write from both perspectives. You know, I think if you read the synopsis of the book, I think, and ask like someone on the street, like, what, whose story, like, whose, or rather, like, whose perspective is this story told from, or whose perspective should this story be told from? Mm. I think a lot of people just like, Ming, obviously, Mm. you know, it's a story about a trans person. Obviously, the trans person's going to narrate of it but it's not a novel about transitioning mm. and it's you know it's a much more novel about relationships
0: mm.
1: and i felt if i'm writing a novel about a relationship it's important to include
0: mm.
1: both perspectives and there are so many shitty things that mm. like tom and ming do to each other over the course of the novel and also you know that the secondary characters do to each other throughout the course of the novel And I think having two vantage points makes nobody the bad guy. Mm. And one thing that always comes up is the play. Mm -hmm. You know, Tom gives like veiled or like um, thin consent to Ming writing a play about the relationship. Yeah, And it ends up being like the most exploitative play ever. I think it's like (laughs) people would wake up in cold sweats if they knew that their ex was doing this. Yes, Or even at the idea of their ex doing it. So Ming sets a play in their bedroom not in their bedroom, but the set is literally their bed <laughs> with, car- with a white gay man and also an Asian trans woman. And Tom's in the audience watching this play, lifting like verbatim so many things that they had said to each other, mm. you know, in as their sort of relationship started to crumble. And he's just like, you know, the fuck? Like, how could you... Do this to me, and I think anyone reading that from Tom's perspective would just be like Ming is
2: yeah, a,
1: like evil careerist woman who's you know, just gonna girl boss her way to write a play and like that showing in Soho theater.
2: You don't pull any punches, do you I mean what people call Ming like a self-obsessed narcissist? yeah, points, right?
1: um, you know. yeah, there's a dinner party where Tom's best friend Rob is just sort of like shouting. Um, I like, Ming, do you think you're like some Sally Rooney, do you? Oh, I love it. Um, and then someone else, someone else, and at the dinner party is like, is Sally Rooney trans? <laughs> Which is my f- absolutely favorite line in the book. I think, <laughs> but, you know, we're still in the moment process of trying to get her to read it. And I think, that's I know. <laughs> and like, attached to the email was that line, is Sally oh, yeah. Rooney trans? But, you know, you read it from Tom's perspective and you're like, Ming is awful. Mm. But then you read it from Ming's perspective and you sort of understand mm. a little more. That, okay, well, actually, Tom did say yes. Um, mm. and she did send Tom the script. And also, she's in a place where she has really internalized some of the false narratives about, you know, the inevitable loneliness that mm. she will face as a trans person. Mm. And she is so scared and feels in a corner alone. And the only way she thinks that she can make meaning from her life mm. is through you Know using these experiences to create something profound. Mm. And so it becomes incredibly important for her um, to focus on her career and her work. And I think when you have, you know, an understanding of that emotional, the emotional state she's in when she's writing it, it makes you a little bit more sympathetic to her, her perspective. Yes. But I don't think that would be completely possible if I didn't have the door perspective.
2: Yeah. And then uh, so how is campaign Sally Rooney going? Has she read it yet?
1: Be- I, I, I like. I don't think so. I think she's probably busy.
2: <laughs> but it. But one of the things that's so incredible that's happened is that the production company who made Normal yeah. People, Sally Rooney's book, have bought Bellies and are going to make it into a TV series? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I mean, so they're um, on the production side. So yeah. they bought the option for Bellies, which has been really exciting. They're a team which really understands the book. Mm. And it was so interesting for me going to meetings because it was quite like a big stressful auction and we were having lots of meetings. Mm-hmm. And I often came out of meetings feeling as if people didn't fully understand the novel mm-hmm. and that for them, it was just a novel about transness or queerness um, and not about young people trying to find their way in the world.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: th- a lot of those young people are queer trans. Yeah. You know, it felt that th- the transness and queerness of the story felt a little bit more secondary mm. than I think was presented in some of these meetings
0: mm.
1: where they were like, yeah, we just want to ham up the ha- trans stuff. Right. And so I left like almost like with it having an identity crisis. I'm like, am I like nothing but a trans person? Um, mm. Does this book do like nothing but speak on that thing? Or is like, that what is that just what people see when they see the book? Mm. But I found that with Element, they just really understood it. They mm. Um, we're able to see a bit deeper or peel back the layers and understand that actually, no, this was just, this is a novel about being young.
2: Yes, it's really interesting that because it's very plain to see. From my perspective, it was that, you know, it was almost like the transness was a metaphor for overcoming things. And, yeah. you know, um, and it's 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 great that it's found its, it's right home, I suppose. Yeah. Um, as we draw to a close, is there like, a book that you always want know you want to write.
1: I've had an idea. Mm-hmm. And some people are so cagey yeah. with their ideas, but I, I'm like I'm solely slipped. Like I'm just like, <laughs> anyone, any random off the street would ask you, like, what do you think of a third novel? I will just tell them. Great. I do have an idea for a third novel. Uh, my parents met in Hong Kong uh in the 80s, and my mum was a flight attendant for an airline called Cathay Pacific. And it just sounded like such an interesting, glamorous life. Mm. And I've been wanting to set a novel in 1980s Hong Kong for a really long time that is loosely based on sort of my mum's experience there, but has a major sci-fi element. <gasps> Think like One Car Wai with aliens. I love it. Um, I have to live a bit. I have to go through more happiness and pain, but... In the meantime, I love it. the 80 sci-fi novel, I think, is, is what I want to do.
2: Okay. Lovely chat. Go get Bellies if you haven't read it. Let me know if you have read it. Let me know what you thought of the themes. Tell me stuff. I'm looking at a duck. Very sort of duck holding his head in the air like, you don't own me. Um... Walking through the back of my village, which is so lovely. It's all like hand. What are they called? Dry stone walls. Sheep's beautiful old houses. It's just heaven. Oh, and a veg patch, which I always love to nosy a veg patch. They've got beetroot as well. I see growing beetroot. Look, kale. I did not know kale grew like a sort of tree. Isn't it terrible when you don't know even, mm. even know how something you eat grows? That was wonderful. Hello at homo sapienspodcast.com, at homo sapiens on Instagram. Get in touch. Tell us your thoughts. Don't be a stranger. Pick up the phone. Well, pick up the internet. Pick up your email. Pick up your iPhone or Samsung Galaxy, whatever you've got. Pick it up. Message us. Get, stay in touch. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye now.